0: This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast, sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast is also sponsored by Visit Bemidji. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. We're kicking off another year of fishing Paul Bunyan Country today in our first Extended conversation is with Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service. Are we going to have open water for the opener? We'll get his thoughts on that and a ton of other great stuff next. My fishing pool keeps tackle box in my hand. Going to cast a few lines with my toes in the sand. Pulling in a big catch makes me feel like a man. But the wife, she just don't understand. I love walleye. And if you don't like fishing, you can kiss my four-stroke right in the back Cause the fishes is all tremble at the thought of me when I'm fishing, Paul Bunyan Country This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors podcast Sponsored in part by Bumajee State University You can pursue your passions with a world-class education In the heart of Minnesota's Northwoods The drive to acquire deeper knowledge and develop greater wisdom Is already in your nature So join us on the shores of Lake Bemidji. Minnesota's premier Northwoods University can help you make the world a better place than you found it. Learn more at BemidjiState.edu and schedule a tour today. BemidjiState.edu This is Bro reminding you... That the coolest people are on fishing pole bunion country. And Kevin Jackson, too. Well, time to check in with Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service. We're getting close, I think, to soft water season. Uh, uh, Jason, this is going to air next week, probably Monday or Tuesday. We were talking on a, on a Monday. Uh, and you just yesterday uh, pointed out that you're done with ice fishing now. I am completely done. <laughs>
1: you know, I actually... Took my snowmobile out, which for a lot of people, they're just so surprised. But there's one lake in our area that's at a lower elevation and the ice stays, you know, consistent out there for a longer period of time. So I was able to get out on the snowmobile, but that shoreline ice, you know, that's pulling out fast. And my preference is not only to be able to get out onto the lake, but to be able to get back off of the lake. (laughs) <laughs> and that's where the challenge lies right now. You know, when you get to that late part of the season, a lot of times people will put out even planks to get onto the to the ice. And you can get out there early in the morning when it's cool, but the conditions change so rapidly and it's common to get wet up to your hips on the way back in. So I just I, I don't really want to do that
0: anymore. Well, I think a lot of people were planning to be in their boats by now. Oh, for sure. I mean, we should be. I have, I have guide trips lined up,
1: uh, coming up even before opener for some, some spring panfish. And,
0: you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it or not. We're just going to have to wait and see. Mother Nature's in charge here. She is indeed. And I, you know, I remember when the governor's opener was in the Park Rapids area <laughs> and you were, uh, you know, in the thick of that and it kind of ended up being the same thing. You didn't really have a lot of open water for the governor. Gosh, we're
1: looking at the 10-year anniversary of that. I'm, I'm surprised you remember it at your age. You figured out something <laughs> oh, wow. from 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and, and at my age, too, Tim. But, yeah, that was a, a very interesting event because we had the latest ice out that we had ever had. And there were a lot of challenges. We were supposed to be out on Fish Hook Lake with Governor Dayton. And that was not a possibility because there was still so much ice. And I tell you what. If everybody knew the backstory behind that event, they'd be just amazed um, at everything that that went into it. Not only the organization, but from my personal standpoint and from a mental standpoint of everybody approaching me, everywhere that I went, people would say, "Well, you're going to get the governor a walleye this year, right?" He had never caught a walleye on the opener ever, <laughs> and and I am presented with the absolute worst conditions you could ever imagine. <laughs> And and we pulled it off. We got him a walleye, and it was an absolute miracle. Where did you get said walleye? Well, you know that's a story that I, I don't tell many people. I <laughs> keep it very private. <laughs> but I will say this: it was in one of the few places that there was open water in our area. And the funny thing is, I had taken his. It, it was obvious. It was in a stream, okay. and it was an a- area where the walleyes would come up annually to spawn and we went there in the afternoon i had to take his whole security crew there just to check things out make sure there was no funny business going on and and one of his security guys had actually staked out that area for two nights previous with a conservation officer just to make sure that everything was okay and we went there in the afternoon the the day of so it's friday friday afternoon and we pull up on this spot and we look over into this, this flowing water and it is shore to shore walleye. It is just packed with fish. And I remember seeing two nor, or three northern side by side by side that were right up against the bank that were all over 30 inches. And I said, he's going to cast his line in at 12.01 a.m. By 12.02, he's going to have a fish. Well, we had a cold front that came in and it arrived much earlier than it was supposed to. And when I say cold front, I'm talking about 30 miles an hour, or 30-mile-an-hour winds, snow, 30-mile-an-hour wind, uh, uh 30 degrees. Uh, I'm getting so worked up over this because it was so frustrating. And we go out to the spot, and Dennis McAdams, who was taking the lieutenant governor, was with me. And we start looking through the water, and there's nothing there. Everything has left with this cold front, and... I mean, ultimately, it ended up. We broke me personally with the governor. We broke seven uh, seven lines, um, <laughs> and we're only fishing for an hour. Most of them broke in the trees behind us on cast. <laughs> uh, um, it ended up with me tearing all the ligaments in my left ankle. I stayed up for uh, forty three hours straight. Wow! After the after the weekend, and it it was a lot. It was a lot, but. Here's here's the positive, is that this year, I think, I truly think, that we're going to have some open water. You think so? I do, I do. I believe this in my heart. And you know what? If you are a negative Nelly, you say, "Oh, there's no way this is going to happen." We got to keep the faith. <laughs> we got to keep the faith. It's like Vikings fans. You don't start the season going, "We're never going to win." You go, "There's a possibility." <laughs>
0: You're a better Viking fan than I am. <laughs> I'm not even, I don't even follow sports at all. Jeff, I'm always out in the boat fishing. I don't have time for sports. Oh, you're 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 mentally healthier. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I I find it hard to believe we're going to have open water, but gosh, I, I hope you're right.
1: Well, I know that some of these bigger bodies of water are really going to struggle in this situation. And, of course, the further north you go, the, the worse off they're going to be. Looking at the forecast, it's not looking great. I mean, I'm not seeing a lot of sixty degree days or anything like that. But the positive, we're not getting below freezing, yeah, in the nighttime temperatures. So you know, there's a chance, and you know, worst case scenario, maybe we'll be able to hit some of these smaller lakes. Maybe it won't be walleyes that people are targeting. There might be more anglers chasing panfish, and that's okay too.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I think people would just if they could find a patch of water they would be just thrilled
1: well i go down to south dakota with some college buddies at the end of march every year and or sorry the end of april every year and we're pushing it in terms of open water down there but once we get down there and all the guys get together it doesn't matter even if we get out in the boat it's it's that communal time together and catching up that's the fun part of it. So yeah. the, the fishing comes secondary. I know everybody wants to get out there and, and catch some fish. We're going to have chances to do that, whether it happens on opener or the weekend after. Maybe not until June. We'll have to wait and see.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Um, how thick was it out there for you when, when you were you fishing yesterday?
1: Uh Actually, there was 19 inches of ice. But okay. the problem is, 19 inches of ice right now is not the same as 19 inches of ice in January because you get that, that runoff, the melt, the snow starts melting on the surface, and the water has to go somewhere. So it starts to make the ice very porous. I know there were certain areas that I drilled that the auger went through in like three or four seconds, and it was columns of ice coming up. And that starts to get dangerous when it's brittle, but again, it's it's that shoreline that is the biggest challenge for sure.
0: Yeah, There couldn't have been too many people out there.
1: Uh, I saw four other people that came and two other groups that walked out. Uh, we took a different entry point. Um, but even travel out on the ice was difficult because with that last snow that we got, boy, there's a lot of slush, a lot of water. The conditions changed so much. Driving the snowmobile back in, the track would try to su- uh, slide sideways. I actually got my snowmobile stuck twice. And and that was because of so much slush in the track and everything. It was just a total different environment that you'd see during other periods of the year.
0: What do you think as a as a veteran and a longtime guide angler, what do you think it's going to mean for fishing? Besides I mean, obviously we can't get out there if there's if there's no open water. But but if we don't get open water, say till mid May, is that gonna change anything throughout the rest of the year?
1: I mean yes and no. I always think of the ice out as kind of the setup for the entire season. But you just you just never know. I mean some of the best years we've had have been with really late ice out and some of the best years we've had have been with early ice out. I think it really depends. Mostly it depends on the body of water with so many around in the north country here that you know, you could go to one lake and it really had an off year. Um, based on forage or, year classes that are available of various species of fish. Um, but then it's just like, okay, this isn't doing it for us. Let's just jump onto another body of water. Um, I, you know, I kind of like when we have a late ice out actually, um, just because of where the walleye's are in terms of spawning and everything. And, um, you know, it's, it's right after it a lot of times, but then I like it really early ice out because they had a chance to recover. Right. So. Here's what, here's what is going to happen on opener uh, There's a 100% chance of this Is that some people are going to go out And catch some fish And some people are going to go out And not catch anything There's a 100% chance of
0: that You're correct You are correct on that <laughs> And it doesn't matter when the ice goes out For that to happen You know, it's so weird though you, you know, You're telling me you're out there And you're drilling down 19 inches of ice, right? And uh, then I know down in the Twin Cities Lake Minnetonka is wide open It's unbelievable Exactly yeah, I mean, the difference
1: in just the the temperatures throughout the state. We think of Minnesota as we're all, you know, kind of one unit. We're all on the same team. But, boy, you see such a difference. Uh, it's like two weeks different from the metro area to up here. So if they've got open water right now, I figure it should be about two weeks, which puts us before the opener, cap, Right? So <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm optimistic that this can happen, but... What I'm curious to see is when these lakes do thaw, what we're going to experience for winter kill, yeah. what we're going to see from low oxygen levels. I do know one lake here that that there's a pretty significant fish die-off, but the DNR, our fisheries office here, they don't go and observe uh, dissolved oxygen in the water during the winter anymore just because they, it, it doesn't provide the information that they need. Really, the only way to determine the impact is to wait until the lake thaws out and you know, see what washes up on shore. So hopefully there's not a lot of lakes, whether it's here in Park Rapids up in Bemidji, I know the metro area had a number of lakes that had some significant winter kill. But usually when you have winter kill, it's it's not entirely a bad thing. It can be, okay, it can be. But sometimes you have a certain percentage of the fish that die off. And that creates more space for other fish to grow. You don't have the competition for food. It's almost like a reset on the
0: body of water. Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service is my guest to kick off Fish and Paul Bunyan Country for this year. we got a ton more to cover with Jason next.
1: I'm Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service. I'm proud of the efforts my fellow guides and I make to help Kev Jackson sound like he has a clue. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley, Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfasts. Visit Bemidji one step further.
0: I'm Bruce Dean, and this is Fish and Fall Bunion Country. Kicking off the year with Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service. Jason, as you look around the winter season in the in the Park Rapids area, how did things look? I mean, I know it was tough for, for a lot of people to get out on the lakes over the course of the winter, but was there good abundant fishing out there? Did you see anything underneath the ice that had you concerned, or was it, or, or, or were things good?
1: You know, I think things were, were good. I, I didn't really see anything that was concerning, per se, uh, except for you know, I was thinking about Portage Lake, which is north of Parker Rapids. And Portage is an interesting lake because it it's suffered uh, winter kill numerous times in the past. It seems like it gets to a point where the fish are, are starting to get really, really nice, big bluegills, nice crappies, even walleyes in there. Um, and we are to that point, and, and that's going to have some die-off just reports from anglers that putting cameras down and seeing fish dead on the bottom of the lake through the ice, which means that those fish have died. They floated up beneath the ice and then they've decayed enough that their air bladder lets the, the gases out. So then they can drop back down to the bottom. So they had, you know, been dead for, for quite a while out mm-hmm. there. So we're going to see an impact on that lake, but otherwise in terms of the ice fishing, I thought we've had a great season overall. Um, I still get frustrated with just lake access that even though you could get around anywhere you wanted on the lake, getting to the lake is still one of our biggest challenges. And I, I would love to see something change like that. I know, uh, I, I'm trying to think of what state it was in. If it was, it might have been Wisconsin where there was a program pairing with the DNR and local agencies trying to plow out public accesses, for instance. And that would be a really nice thing for anglers around here because ice fishing becomes a way of life for a lot of people in the North Country. And we do a ton to provide access in the open water seasons. And I really feel like we should be making that same effort for ice fishing.
0: Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, it's a very, very popular activity now. It's a great family activity. P- families camp on, on the ice now if they can get there. So um, I think the demand is there, that's for sure. Absolutely, and if we look at it from a tourism standpoint, our entire area thrives on
1: tourism, and it helps all the businesses. We have people come into town. It's a good thing, and I know anglers sometimes can get a little territorial of their lakes and say, oh, we need to get the tourists out of here. No. Ted, let me ask you this. Do you like cheese? Yes. Okay. So when you go down to the local grocery store, there's that cheese case that has all the fancy cheeses. And there's got to be, what, 25 different types of cheese that you can purchase. Mm -hmm. Well, if we don't have the tourists come, we don't have that same availability of your fancy cheeses. If we don't have people that are coming here, the grocery store is not going to sell it, and now you're just getting Kraft singles. (laughs) So let's look
0: at the positive attributes of tourism, and that is that I really love cheese. <laughs> you know, it's that economic mind of yours that, that just <laughs> never ceases to amaze me. Well, um, yeah, and our lakes our lakes really can handle the impact uh, for the most part. I mean,
1: obviously we don't want to have overharvest or anything like that, but I think if people actually looked at what others keep on, on a lot of our lakes, I mean, obviously, there's some exceptions, but on a lot of our lakes when people go out, they're not keeping that many fish, which is good. I mean, part of that falls back on the education that's been given over the years, that catch and release is, is relied upon a lot heavier than it used to be. And people are just more aware of of putting fish back and not not taking more than they need.
0: Yep, I agree. We, uh, I've always said... It seems to me that Minnesota anglers are very, very passionate uh, and also very, very savvy when it comes to, you know, conservation and what they need to do. And I think the guides in particular who, you know, introduce a lot of out-of-state people who are not familiar with the, the whole thing. I think the guides do a really tremendous job of explaining to people why we're putting this fish back, why we're keeping this fish. And from what I've heard is when people understand it, they're, they're like, oh, okay, and they're cool with it. <laughs>
1: Exactly. I, I love when I get invited to the annual meetings for various lake associations to come and speak because everybody wants to hear about their own lake, right? And and they want some ideas of how they can go out and catch fish. And I always tell them as as I'm speaking to the group about how I handle people in the boat that want to keep fish and, and just how we handle those fish and how we're so selective. And then I don't let people over harvest the fish. Um, and and a lot of times people would think like, oh well, well this group they can go back day after day and go to the same spots you went to and do the same things you did and they're just going to keep fish over and over and over. You would you wouldn't believe how difficult it is for somebody to do that mm-hmm. because there's so many variables that can change. For my client specifically, I tell people if we go out, let's say that a, a couple comes up here from whatever state. And they're staying at a resort. They want to go out early in the week. And they want me to show them the pulse of the lake. They want to see what's biting and where and how to do it. And so we go out. We have a really successful day in 18 feet of water on this specific spot. And I tell them, if if I'm out the next day and I've got another group of people and we're in this same area, I totally expect that you're going to come and fish next to us. Mm-hmm. And... And and I always tell them if you catch a fish, we're going to cheer as loud for you as you would for us. But there are so many changes that can happen overnight that it's really difficult to replicate that. You got to bob and weave with the fish. There's times we have to make adjustments. You know, by the half hour, you know, the the schools of fish move. They're constantly moving. So a lot of times it's not likely that they're going to be back in the exact same area. So I don't feel bad about having somebody come and fish next to me, because they could be doing one of 20 different things differently than I am, and we're catching fish and they're not, or sometimes vice versa, and we'd have to make the adjustments.
0: So uh, when you can get into the water, you're a multi-species guy, so I'm guessing opening weekend, now that we can do some bass, catch and release, you're going to fish for whatever's biting at that particular time of day.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. The thing I like about the early season, though, is like walleyes, for instance, it's pretty common to catch them midday. Sure. So it, it, there's no reason that you have to be up at first light. Uh, there, well, there's one good reason. You get more of the day to fish.
0: <laughs> you yes. can put
1: in more time, and I tell people all the time, you want the top-secret way to catch more and bigger fish, go fishing. Spend more time on the water. The more time you spend on the water the better chance you have of catching a personal best, the trophy, the most fish, whatever. Put in the time, and, and that's going to come into, into play. Uh, but also, the older I get, the more I enjoy eating breakfast and having a <laughs> cup of coffee. I'm kidding, I don't drink coffee. Diet Coke, and then and then getting to the lake a little bit later, and, and that's fine, too. We still catch plenty of fish. If I could go back to the last two seasons, knowing the information that I know, the period of time that I would want to fish more than any is from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Hmm? Okay. And I think that's a, that surprises a lot of people. They think, oh, we want to, we want to get out early in the morning or we want to fish right at dusk as that sun's going down. But that afternoon bite over the last two seasons has been so solid, the most consistent, the most activity. And it doesn't matter what species we're chasing, even those walleye that people say, Oh, they're so light sensitive. They won't bite during the day. We catch a lot of walleyes in the middle of the day.
0: When that uh, and and that is because you are a very innovative angler, and you'll you'll fish a lot of places that most people say walleyes aren't there. Well,
1: not always,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes. Not
1: always. But but sometimes, yeah, we do, and, and we'll take different approaches to it that you know aren't typical. Uh, for what a lot of people grew up doing. I mean, the jig and minnow around the opener is a classic bait. I mean, that is something that people gravitate towards. If you can find shiners, oh, my gosh, you've got the perfect setup, right? Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of different ways to approach early season walleyes. You know, I love throwing a swim bait. There, there's It is so much fun when you're throwing a soft swim bait on braided line up in shallow water and you feel that fish just rock that bait. I mean, it's like bass fishing for walleye. And clients <laughs> love that too, because there's no doubt when you get a bite. It's not like having a uh, perch come up and grab the tail of your minnow or, you know, whatever live bait you've got on a leech. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. And then of course crankbaits. A lot of people overlook crankbaits in the early season. Jerk baits are great up shallow. Um, rattle baits. love, I love casting crankbaits. Uh, A lot of times people, they'll they'll think that, well, if you're using a crankbait, you have to troll it. Well, no, definitely not. It's advantageous to keep that bait in the water when you're trolling. But when you're up in that shallow water, you're disrupting a lot when you're moving the boat through there first. So, yeah, don't be hesitant at all. Take out a a jerkbait or a a rattlebait and whip that thing as far as you can and even up into really shallow water. Those fish come up into shallow water to spawn. They come up there because there's a lot
0: of forage. It's where they live. Get your bait there. Speaking of bait, what are you hearing about live bait this year? We had a heck of a tough year last year.
1: Yeah, so talking to some of the bait suppliers and trappers, it's getting more challenging every year. And we've seen what's happened to our northern friends up in Canada and their limits with with live bait, limitations with live bait. I don't know what's in the future for Minnesota. Could it be that eventually we don't allow live bait too? I don't know. Um, in terms of getting it for this year, I've heard that it that it'll be a little bit more challenging. But part of that challenge in the last few years has been with water levels, and with yep. all the snow we've gotten this year, you know that looks like it's probably going to be a little more in check. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think a, a lot of bait trappers. Um, don't see the value in going out and trapping as much as they used to because the costs are so high and there's so much regulation on it uh i would not want to be a bait trapper i'll tell you that boy they work hard and in conditions that aren't the best i'll tell you that (laughs) so i i admire and i'm thankful for everyone that does go out there and gathers bait so i can use it Um, but you're also seeing those bait prices climb so high too that a lot of people think, well, maybe I should go a different route. Maybe I should use a different approach.
0: I think that, uh, you know, obviously uh, one of the key issues is some of the more prolific bait-producing waters have AIS now, and, and you, can't, you can't use that bait.
1: Exactly. And that's one of the challenges that the bait trappers are running into, that, of course, we don't want to spread any type of, of disease or anything like that, or any type of aquatic invasive species across bodies of water and so you know again they they look at those obstacles and they say is it worth it and you're seeing you know fewer and fewer people that are going out to trap bait
0: yeah right oh it uh, there's there's just there are a lot of challenges in the area and, you know you talked about uh you know being able to catch fish middle of the day walleyes middle of the day you guys have done a tremendous job in in the hubbard county nevis park rapids area of battling ais keeping the lakes clean you aren't dealing with zebra mussels there yet i don't think and we've seen you know the change of uh zebra mussels in a number of lakes that have made it uh even tougher than it might have normally been to do a midday walleye bite
1: Yeah, yeah it's changing entire ecosystems for sure and Here in Hubbard County, we do more boat inspections than any county in the state. You know, we're really on top of it. Uh, At the same time, it's, you know, you could easily have AIS introduced into any body of water, But we have watercraft inspectors there a lot of the time at a lot of our lakes. Uh, it, It just takes one boat. It takes one person to make that mistake and not be diligent about having clean boat, dry boat, Going into a body of water
0: that can totally change an entire ecosystem. Yep, oh, that's scary. It is, and and yeah, we're we're seeing it firsthand. Um, certainly, they've been seeing it down in the Brainerd Lakes area for a while, and uh, you know, I hear hear from the Cass Lake anglers. You know, it's earlier than ever or later than ever to catch the walleyes. They're, the walleyes are there. It's just it's a whole different way now.
1: Exactly. So,
0: I don't know if I ever told
1: you about the uh, the person I took fishing from France. No. So this gentleman that, that was a dealer for Crestliner boats. I'm, I'm a Crestliner pro. He was coming over to, uh, tour the factory and Crestliner asked if I would take him out fishing. So I took him out on Fishhook Lake. We had a great afternoon of fishing. Such an interesting guy. He would write for fishing magazines over in France and had a television show. He was kind of like the Al Linder of Europe, Good. You know, this is a cool deal, right? Well, anyway, I was asking him, are there any strange fishing laws in France? And he said, yes. He said, we cannot fish predator fish after dark. And I said, well, what's a predator fish? He said, northern pike, xander, which is like an oversized walleye, and carp. And I said, really, carp are a predator fish? And he said, yeah. He said, we're not supposed to fish them after dark, but he said, However, we do that sometimes. <laughs> that's, what, that's why I haven't given you the gentleman's name. <laughs> he said, sometimes we do that. He said, we don't have a DNR in France. We have uh, police. And the police have a lot bigger things to worry about than a couple guys fishing after dark. But he said, you don't want to get caught walking through town carrying fish. So what they would do is they'd catch these big carp and they'd put them in mesh bags and hang them on... the the pylons of the pier, and then they'd come back the next day and they'd take their fish pictures for the magazines and stuff uh, the next day in daylight. So anyway, I was asking him, well, what kinds of areas, what kinds of structure are you targeting for these predator fish? And he said, I said, is is it like brackish water? Is it wood? Is it vegetation? He said, it's the mussel beds. And I said, mussel beds? Like, what kind of mussels? He said, zebra mussels. I said, well, why would the fish be around the zebra mussel beds? And he said, because they eat them. Really? Well, how do you you know that these carp are eating the zebra mussels? And he said, easy, because when we put them in the mesh bags and leave them overnight, we come back the next day and the bag is filled with these shells that the fish has expunged overnight. So you see some of this adaptation, and I've heard in different areas, too, where smallmouth bass will do that. Although part of me thinks that it might be the smallmouth trying to get crayfish and they're ingesting some of those zebra mussels in that process. You know, it's really hard to say. But as I was talking to this gentleman from France, you know, he mentioned the zebra mussels and I said, oh yeah, zebra mussels, we get all that, all that bad stuff from you guys over in Europe. And he said, don't think it doesn't go both ways. And I mm-hmm. said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, we get bad stuff from, from you too. I said, well, what have you gotten from us? He says, raccoons. Really? I I said, well, how did you get raccoons from us? And he says, well, the same way that you get aquatic invasives from anybody else on boats. He said, people would have them as pets on some of these ships and then they'd get to the shoreline and they'd release them and let them go. He said, they're all over the city. They're like rats. Wow. So it was really interesting to hear that from somebody else's perspective too.
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's a that's an interesting perspective because we all tend to be really you know egocentric. So it's yeah kind of kind of good to hear that other perspective for sure. Wow, I totally agree. Here's one thing that is not going to happen
1: this summer, or probably any summer after this, Kev. I am not going to have any raccoons in my boat. <laughs> that's one aquatic invasive. I can guarantee you, I'm not going to harbor. <laughs>
0: You heard it here on Go Fish, Go Fish <laughs> Guide Service. Will not have raccoons in the boat.
1: We put it on. We put it on the website.
0: No yeah. raccoon <laughs> guaranteed. He's raccoon free. He's Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service, and we'll wrap it up next. Hey, I'm Jason Rylander, the Jason
1: that can grow a beard like a grown-up, and this is fishing all on sunshine.
0: If you're ready to write the next chapter of your life and love the outdoors, Northwest Technical College might be the perfect fit. Northwest Technical College in Bemidji has state-of-the-art technical education and six career paths in the heart of the Northwoods. Automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, and manufacturing technology. We're surrounded by more than 400 lakes and acres and acres of forests. You can be fishing, you can be hunting, and you can be plotting the course of your life all at the same place. The shortest path to your dream job begins at Northwest Technical College, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. I'm Chuck Hasse Leisure Outdoor Adventures, and you're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We are wrapping it up with Jason Durham of Fish Guide Service. What do you think? What, uh, what, what, what should we be doing to get ready for uh, fishing, even though we can't uh, you know, put the boat in water? Well, you know,
1: it amazes me. It amazes me today compared to 20, 30 years ago, how many rod and reel combos anglers have. You go into somebody's garage and it's just a wall of gear. There's a lot of lines to change there. Make sure you have fresh line on. That's a pretty simple thing. It's something you can do no matter what the weather's like outside. Do that. Go through your tackle box. Get it organized. Drive around. I love that in the spring. If you just drive to some of these lakes and just look, look and see what's changed. And then when we can finally get out in the boat, there's days I love to take the boat out and not even fish, to just drive around and and look up in that shallow water, look at how the lake has changed over the course of the winter, look at who forgot to take their dock out and now it's 20 feet out from the shoreline, you know, all those good things. But really be careful in the spring, though, too, wouldn't we... uh, when we get the thaw and everything, you get debris sometimes that goes into, like, tree branches, things like that, or that person that lost their dock and maybe a plank comes off of it. So just be careful as you're driving around so you don't encounter anything with your boat propeller uh, that you that you really don't want to. Okay. Uh, that, and Of course, when we have these rainy days, yeah. I, get online. Get on YouTube and watch some fishing videos. Pick, pick a technique and, and learn it and go out and try it. Everybody's so fortunate right now with information right on their computer or on their phone. I mean, when I was a kid, we'd, we'd wait for a month for In Fisherman Magazine to come, and that was the holy grail. You'd read it five times, and you would never throw one away. You, you put it on the shelf, and you put it in the library of In Fisherman Magazines. Now, you've got access to anything that you want, any species, any technique, and you can watch six different people Uh, teach you those same things and at the push of a button. So take some time and do that.
0: Yeah. Well, you're going to have time
1: to do it, I think. I think so, (laughs) Just, you know, but that Friday before opener, all the lakes are going to be ice free. It's just going to happen magically.
0: Oh, to to look at the world through your glasses, Jason. (laughs) Kev, I do have a really great tip for everybody for this season, though. Okay.
1: And it's a little bit of a controversial tip, okay? All right. Here it is. Sell your lawnmower. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Think of the rationale behind this, okay? Okay. How often do you mow your lawn? Like once every 10 days probably? Yep. And it's a half-day chore. Yep. So if people sell their lawnmowers, take that money, and find the neighbor kid down the street and have them come and mow their lawns, You're probably probably going to be able to pay him for a few years, depending on how nice your mower is. Right. But that's going to free up a half day for you every 10 days. That's another day that you can go fishing every 10 days.
0: It's genius. It's a genius plan. It is an absolutely brilliant plan. I love it. I think there's going to be a lot of spouses that aren't going to love it quite as much. But I love it. I like it. I, I, I always think of, of time being valuable. Okay? It is,
1: and if and if you can and if you can pay a kid that is so gracious, so willing to help because they want to make money to go and buy their own fishing gear and whatever, absolutely give them that opportunity. And hey, you know, if you work out the deal the right way, you might be able to just take that kid out fishing, and they'll go all right. Uh, you're paying for gas, you're paying for bait, you're doing all this stuff. Yep, I'll
0: mow my lawn if you take me fishing. (laughs) Sell your lawnmower. All right. I'm gonna go do that right now. I'm gonna see how that goes. But I like it. Posted all over the Interweb. Yes. So wow, I don't know if I can top that, but I'm gonna try with another fast five. I'm ready. All right, here we go. Fast five with Jason Durham. What's up? Fast five. Jason. You've been told you can only fish one body of water for the rest of your life, just one. What's it going to be? Oh come on! I get that question in the boat almost every day. What's your favorite lake? Hey, Kev, what's
1: your favorite movie? What's your favorite song? There's like <laughs> ten of them, right? You can't just narrow it down to one. Okay, well, if I... I have to pick one. Is it, it, one to fish just for the fish? Like am I am I
0: trying to survive on the fish that I can no. In this lake? <laughs> no. No, you just can't. You're just not allowed to fish any other lake.
1: Lake Beltane. That's the lake I grew up on. Every time I go there, it's like coming home. It might not be the best fishing lake for, you know, I can't catch muskie out there. Right. But but it, there's a lot of memories that I have on that body of water. So I will take Lake Beltane in the heart of Nevis, Minnesota.
0: And the weirdest thing about that, Nevis, Minnesota, on the shores of Lake Beltane, have a giant musky statue, and you can't even catch muskie on Lake Beltane. I know, it's a, we can have a whole full episode on that. We will someday. We will. Okay, I'm in. I'm okay. in. I know the oil is be Alright, no, I, I want to know it. I want to know it. I love it. Alright, question number two. In the evenings after a tough day at school, what uh, was flickering on your TV, your favorite TV show of all time?
1: You know, I, I bought a TV a few years ago. Because <laughs> it was such a good deal. And I didn't turn it on for, like, 13 months. Because i am done with a, a day in the classroom. I'm going to the lake. I pull my boat to school almost every day in the spring and the fall. Mm-hmm. And the kids all know. They know my boat. They, they see it parked by the playground. They go, oh, Mr. Durham's going fishing today. And kids from other classes will stop in my class and say,
0: oh, hey, you're going fishing? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I will tell you. Uh, what I really enjoy watching and that is if you have Roku TV you can go on to Roku Live TV and they have a station that is committed 24 hours a day to so the Price is Right from the
0: Bob Barker era. <laughs> and it is glorious <laughs> I would urge you to watch that alright, classic Bob Barker Price is Right that's a not, not bad that's not a bad choice all right, you just kind of mentioned you weren't into sports at all, but besides fishing, is there a favorite sport if you if you have to watch one? I have to watch one. I mean, I'll
1: I'll watch a football game if it's, if it's on and there's people. I don't watch a
0: football game by myself. Um, and, and you can't I, I can't choose fishing as a sport to watch. Um, no, not in this particular case. Because I'll tell you what, <laughs> I ruined the weekend watching the Bassmaster Classic,
1: and Dusty took the win for that, and one of my oh, buddies yeah. actually, he was right up at the top, too. Um, what sport would I watch?
0: Not
1: bowling. Um, <laughs>
0: probably football. I'm going to just take football. All right, all right. I knew this would Let's be a bowl. tough one for you. All right. top? Yeah. How about the Olympics? Then I can watch a lot of sports. There you go. That counts. That kind of counts as one giant sport, I think. Okay, good. Winter Olympics, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, question yeah, that Question number four. On your grill, if you have to uh, choose one, are you going to throw steak or chicken on it? Are you kidding me? Does anybody ever pick chicken over steak? I know a few. Is that a thing? I'm not one of them, but I know a few. Oh, no, it's steak. It's steak, yeah. it's I know it. steak. Yeah. Alright, question number five What is By the way, the steak
1: has to have grilled asparagus With it And probably some mushrooms Because that's really enjoyable And the asparagus, then a couple hours later You remember that you ate it
0: (laughs) That's always the problem With asparagus It's a good reminder Oh, that was a really good steak (laughs) Question number five When you're cooking fish, what's your favorite way to cook fish? Well, I you know, the, the classic breaded fried fish is great. I do love
1: to just saute fish and garlic butter, salt, and pepper. I mean, that's fantastic. I, I've had fish so many different ways. I actually don't eat a lot of fish. What surprises people. Oh, you're a fishing guy. You're out there every day. I hardly ever keep fish for myself to eat. Um, I honestly, I don't know the last time I kept a fish for me to eat personally. So my favorite way to prepare fish is however somebody else does it. When when the neighbors are having a fish fry and I can show up and they've cooked the fish and then they also clean up the mess afterwards. So that's my favorite way.
0: You know what? I can't argue with that.
1: (laughs) I'll let their kitchen smell like oil for four days afterwards instead of mine.
0: Well, listen, if we're going to go out fishing, are you booked for the summer already, or can you get somebody in? No,
1: nah, I'm not booked for the summer. I do book up eventually, uh, but it usually happens like two weeks in advance, so I'll tell people if you're coming up for vacation, uh, if you reach out a few weeks ahead of time, you're probably going to get a spot on my calendar, but if you wait until the week that you're here, uh, it's probably not going to happen. However... I do have some other great, great guides that work with me in this area. They don't work for me. We just work in conjunction. So we can make sure you get out on the lake. But if people want to schedule a trip, you can always find me on my cell phone, which is area code 218-252-2278. You can find me.
0: Well, if we are getting ready for some soft water fishing, is it too late to get a trip with uh, Jason Durham and Go Fish Guide Service?
1: Nah, as long as you reach out a few weeks in advance, we can usually get you on the schedule. I do book up eventually, but the great thing is I work with several other wonderful guides here in the Park Rapids area, so we'll make sure that you get out on the water. You can find me on my cell phone hours, area code 218-252-2278. You can call or text. Uh, you can find me on social media, Facebook or Instagram, just under Jason Durham. And, of course, you can find me on my website, which is go-fish-guides.com, or to keep it simple, just Google Park Rapids Area Fishing Guides, and my website's going to pop up right away.
0: He is Jason Durham of Go Fish Guide Service, one of the great friends of the show. Jason, great to have you on again today. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Kevin. And good luck to everybody. (laughs) Crossing my fingers for open water for the (laughs) opener of walleye season.